I am loved equally by the God of the universe. And that makes me ambitious to get up the next morning yes. and go to work. Not because I need to do anything to make God happy, but because I want to. Well, hey guys, and welcome back to the Kingdom Business Podcast. Uh, I have a wonderful guest today who's gonna play a really important part in reframing possibly how we think about work and how we think about business uh, and the role that it plays in advancing the Kingdom of God. Uh, we'll probably tell a whole bunch of war stories between us. We'll go deep. But ultimately, uh, at the end of our time together, my goal is that you see so much more intrinsic value in the daily activity of building your business. Jordan, it's so good to have you with us. You are an authority in this space. So why don't you lead off by telling us who is Jordan Rayner? Hey, Wes, it's great to be with you and your listeners. Hey, guys, I'm Jordan Rayner. I live in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I spent the majority of my career as a tech entrepreneur. So I spent about tech 10 years uh, building, scaling, selling a number of different tech startups. And about halfway through that journey, I heard for the first time in my life that my work had intrinsic value to God. And that message radically changed my life. And Wes, if you want, we can get into the story that kind of set me down this trajectory. But today, I spend almost 100% of my vocational time and energy creating content that helps Christians connect the gospel of Jesus Christ to whatever work it is that they do in the world. But given my background as a tech entrepreneur, a lot of that content tends to resonate more deeply uh, with those building what you would call kingdom businesses. So I'm thrilled to be here. That's cool. And I do want to get to your story. And I've got one too, so we'll compare stories in a minute. But so you, you, you built and sold a couple of tech businesses, um, which Tampa's not known for. So that would have been an interesting journey. No. Um, no. And um, but I guess the most natural progression from there would have been, well, I guess one of two things. You would have either picked another tech startup and gone again, yeah. or you would have got into the world of VC, maybe grabbed some money from Sequoia and started your own fund. Right. That would have been the most natural, obvious way to go after two success stories in tech. So. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So after my second exit, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. The plan was to go start another venture. Mm -hmm. And for a hot minute there, my wife and I um, started thinking about planning a church. We, we, we sat there in church one Sunday and heard of a sermon that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very familiar with, a sermon that made us feel tremendously guilty mm -hmm. for wanting to go start a business instead of moving to a mud hut 5,000 miles away from home to, quote unquote, make disciples of all nations. And so we're considering these two paths. Do we go start a church uh, or do we start another business? And by the grace of God alone, I had a, uh, this godly mentor in my church pull me aside one Sunday. And he said, Hey, I, I hear you're thinking about starting a church. And I'm thinking this guy's going to like pat me on the back, maybe write me my first check. And I'll never forget. He just looked me like dead in the eyes. And he's like, yeah, I got to be honest with you, Jordan. That sounds really dumb for you to plan a church. Right. He's like, Jordan, you're a talented entrepreneur. You've created jobs. You've served your customers and your employees and your investors through the ministry of excellence. Why do you think you have to go start a church in order to do ministry? Don't you get that your work as an entrepreneur is ministry? And I looked at this guy like he had three heads. I had no idea 
what he was talking about. And so he told me, he said, all right, listen, with the backdrop of this conversation in view, go back to Genesis 1 and 2, which you probably read 100 times, and read it through this lens. And what I saw changed my life forever. I saw that before God tells us that he is holy or loving or omnipotent, he tells us that he is a God who creates. It's literally the first verb in the Bible, right? He created. And I saw that before God commissioned human beings to the Great Commission, he called us to the first commission of Genesis 1, 26 through 28, to fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it as vice regents of the rightful king of this universe. And that was, for me, changed everything. So obviously, I didn't go plant a church. I actually went and ran somebody else's business, which was new for me. I wasn't a founder. We had a heck of a ride. I came on board when the company was at about five people. We grew it to about 150 people, including contractors, in two and a half years. But eventually, I decided that this message was so life-changing for me, so transformative for me. And my books, I had my first book come out when I was running that tech startup, uh, a book called Called to Create, which really took off here in the States. And I just became convinced I had to put all of my eggs in that basket. So I didn't plan a church. I went and ran another business, but eventually said, you know what? I want to go out there and encourage other entrepreneurs like me to stay exactly where they are for the advancement of the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus came to preach. That's the short version of the story, Wes. Let, let's just make sure we, we catch up all our listeners on our theology because I don't want to assume that they're all here. Effectively, what we're saying is that work is worship, um, uh, that hard work is hard worship, um, and, uh, and essentially, the way that I've put it to many people before is um, if you're a full-time Christian, you're by default a full-time minister, right? You know, so anybody that's a part-time Christian, they can, they can put their hand up and say they're not a full-time minister. But anybody that's a full-time Christian, by default, is a full-time minister. It just so happens that you might find yourself outside of a church. And only 3.5%, that's what it is in Australia, of Christians are paid in the vocational church, right? You know, the other, the other 96.5% are outside. Um, and, uh, and, and so what we're talking about here is, you know, you don't get to shirk the responsibility of being a minister just because you don't have a badge that you wear on a Sunday, right? You're, you're a minister on a Monday. You're a minister in the boardroom on Tuesday. You're a minister lining up to get your groceries on a Thursday night. You're a minister when you're tucking the kids in bed. You're a minister when, you know, that's, that's when you're a minister. And so for us as business people where we spend the large majority of our work, that's where we're a minister and there's no, there's no getting out of it. So that that's exactly right. And, you know, I, I always find it fascinating that when Jesus came to kick off his kingdom building project, he could have drafted anyone into service to help him grow his kingdom. He could have called the Pharisees. He could have called the religious professionals of the day, but instead he called tax collectors and fishermen. Right. Like that's remarkable. And he himself worked outside the city gates, worked outside the city as a tradesman, as a carpenter, as a stonemason, however you want to interpret Mark 6, 3. Right. Worked with his hands. Right. Which should be the least surprising thing about Jesus's entire life, because he's just imaging his heavenly father who worked with his hands in Genesis 2. Right. Uh, but this is but this is remarkable. Right. And when Jesus 
called these people. He called them away from that job for a time, but many times he called people to go back into those vocations and serve him there. Take Zacchaeus as an example, right? We know he called Matthew, the tax collector, away from his job as a tax collector. Zacchaeus shows up. He's a tax collector, and Jesus called him to go back to that work, to radically change his relationship to that work, to how he did the work in line with Christ's commands, but to go back to the job and be a minister right there, right? Paul talks about this in one of his letters. He's, he's talking, he's saying, hey, listen, the, his, his, his readers are asking, okay, we're Christians now. Does this mean we should all be missionaries? Does this mean we should all change our jobs? And he essentially says, stay exactly where you are when God called you. Yeah. Right? The, the, the call in our life, the call to follow Jesus doesn't necess necessitate a change of vocation. It necessitates a change in how we relate to that vocation yeah. and who is our ultimate master as we do the work. But if yeah. Jesus is truly Lord of your life, oh my word, you could follow him whether you're bagging groceries or building a company or preach it from the pulpit on Sunday. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to have you on to reframe that because I think we need to be reminded of it regularly, right? Because, you know, typically most of the inference from a Sunday message is that there is a pecking order of calls. Even if it's not said that clearly, there's, there's almost an implication that, that there's that way. But, you know, like I, I, I always play out scenarios. Like we have this funny thing around here, things the Bible doesn't say, right? It's like I can't imagine Jesus who, say, stonemason or carpenter, but working with his hands, let's say he's, let's say he's making a chair for someone. I can't imagine him there like 11 o'clock one day on a Tuesday going, far out, this is annoying me so bad. You know, I, all I want to do is go back out on a boat and preach to people. I just can't see that, like, to, I, the bit of understanding I have of Jesus, I think he would have enjoyed the interaction with the customer for the chair as much as preaching to people from a boat out in the ocean, right? Yeah. Just, just it, be, because for him, they, they, weren't, they weren't more or less important. They were both vital. Correct. And I think if you had asked Jesus to talk about his work life versus his spiritual life, he would have looked at you like you had three heads. Like, mm. What do you mean a spiritual life? All of life is spiritual, mm. right? And I, I think it's because Jesus understood this biblical narrative where work is central to the human condition all the way from Genesis 1, literally all the way to Revelation 22, right? Like we, we believe that we've fallen for this lie in the past few hundred years that work is somehow a result of the curse. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. In Genesis 1 and 2, God commands human beings to work, gives them the first commission before the fall, right? Then sin enters the world, work becomes difficult. But even after Genesis 3, God still tells human beings that they've still been created to work. In Genesis 9, God floods the world. Noah and his family get off the ark. And what does he say to them? Fill the earth. Again, it's the exact same language he gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28, right? And then when Jesus comes along and redeems us, Paul says that he's redeemed us in spite of our work. See Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. But they have saved us for the good works he's prepared in advance for us to do. See Ephesians 2.10. What are the good works God prepared in advance for us to do? See Genesis 1. To fill the earth. To subdue it. To make it more useful for other human beings. And fast forward all the way to the end of Revelation 22, and the shock to most modern Christians today is that heaven, when heaven is ultimately on earth, will include perfect work. Once again, Revelation 22.5 says, we will reign forever and ever with 
Christ. He's not going to rule on his own. He is graciously inviting his children to do that work with him. And Isaiah 65 says, there's no cases of the Mondays on the new earth. We will all long enjoy the work of our hands. So if that's the narrative, if that's the story arc of scripture of work, what does that mean for us today? It means that our work has intrinsic, inherent goodness to our creator. It matters to him, not just when we're leveraging it to the instrumental end of sharing the gospel with our coworkers, although we absolutely should be doing that. The work itself matters to him. And Psalm 37, 23 says it brings him great delight. It says every detail of the lives of the godly, every deal you do, every customer you interact with in a loving and excellent way in accordance with God's command, Psalm 37, 23 says, brings eternal delight to the God of the universe. Are you saying, Jordan, that the work matters to God even when I've lost three customers, my team are annoying me, my, you know, my website's gone down and I want to quit? Oh, man. This is one of the remnants of the prosperity gospel, right? We believe that if the business isn't succeeding, that uh, somehow it's due to my sin and that God's angry with me, right? Everything we have is grace. Everything. Every successful deal, every good day we have at the office, we didn't produce any of it. Deuteronomy 8 says everything is from him, which means it also, by the way, Jesus, Jesus talked about this in Matthew. He said that God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He produces wealth and results for the righteous and the unrighteous, which means that if we're having a crappy week and we just lost a customer and our business isn't doing well, that's not connected to our righteousness as children of God, right? So don't get discouraged when you're having that kind of day. Don't think that it's because you didn't read your Bible that morning. That's not how the one true God of the universe works. He's not an ATM. He's not a, he's not, he's not a genie that succumbs to our whims of how good or bad we've been. That's a heretical lie, right? He gives us good things just because he is good, not because of anything you and I have done. And so for me, Wes, that gives me a lot of encouragement on those bad days. Those bad days aren't because of, you know, me not sharing the gospel with whoever I just interacted with. It's just a bad day. It's because we still work under the curse that we see in Genesis 3, right? So those bad days don't, don't lead me to doubt my calling, right? Uh, I know that even on those worst days, I am loved equally by the God of the universe. And that makes me ambitious to get up the next morning yes. and go to work. Not because I need to do anything to make God happy, but because I want to. Yeah. Because I want to as a worshipful response to the one who loves me equally on my most and my least productive day. Yeah. And that's what really what I wanted to draw out. Oh, hey, I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. Listen, I'm just here training a group here in this room but I need you to subscribe to my channel. Guys, do you think they should subscribe to the channel? Yeah! Guys, please, subscribe. The fact that we can get to the point where we go, my business is suffering, everything's going bad, blah, 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 but my God still loves me regardless of the fact that I didn't read my Bible should actually put you in a position to go and do the work to be able to fix it, right? Whereas, where, whereas if you don't get to the point where you realize that you, in your good and your bad, God loves you, um, you, I believe you open a huge place for the enemy to come and start lying to you. See, you didn't read your Bible. See, you didn't do this. See, you didn't, like, and just hammers you 
right? And and then you've got the worst of both worlds, right? You know, like you've got your own guilt and then you've got this, you know, the, the enemy just hitting hot buttons. And, and I think that's what makes a lot of people question whether they should quit, right? It's, you yeah. know, it's, it's the attack from the enemy. It, it, it's all those things on top. Yeah, um, 100%. And so, I think too, it's, it's this ironic thing where the gospel is both our ultimate source of rest and ambition. So let me try to back up to try to explain this. So early in my career, my mood was directly correlated to how well the business was doing. Business was doing great. Jordan was doing great. Business was doing poorly. Jordan was doing poorly. And it was only once I was able to separate those two things that I found maximum ambition for my work. Why? Because knowing that on my worst day, my status as an adopted child of God was secure, perfectly secure on my best and my worst day, allowed me to rest from the work. But it also made me ambitious to get to work and fix the problems the next day. Again, to reiterate what I said a few minutes ago, not because I needed to, not because that was the magic trick that was going to make God happy, but because he was already well pleased with me, his adopted son. And so I just wanted to go to work because I know that doing great work is part of how I glorify him, part of how I bring eternal pleasure to him, and part of, frankly, what draws other people to be interested in the God that I serve. And, and, and that's so valuable what you just said there, because there'll be people that even hearing it from you that way, it, 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 the penny will drop, right? They, you know, because it's like, aha, I get it now. You know, I'm not, I'm not striving for anything. You know, I've already got it. And that becomes my springboard to work. And, and I think, Jordan, that's why I love what I love so much about you and your message is you bring this with no finger waving. There's a lot of people that speak into this space almost from a place of like, oh, it's sacred, secular, the church are wrong, you know, and the church is just wrestling with a whole bunch of things like you and I are, right? So, but you come with a huge amount of energy and passion and no finger waving at all. And I think that's just a beautiful position. When I started researching you and the content, I was like, you have a flavor to bring this message that has a lot more cut through than most people because of how you deliver it. So I really appreciate that about you and what you're doing. You're kind. My team helps me. Uh, give it that flavor. So got to give credit where credit's due, right, Wes? Let's build on, right? So we've basically made a case for this. So now, you know, business owner running a mechanical workshop or a, or a you know, dog walking business or a garden maintenance or, you know, any one of a thousand, accounting law. How is, how is, how are they being a minister in their everyday? And I want to kind of build um, all the way down from, well, just starting businesses, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? All the way down from there to what are some things that we can actively be doing so that we integrate our faith and use our business as one small pillar in the Great Commission? I want to kind of run through what are some ideas that people could be doing, both, you know, real low level up to some very strategic initiatives. Specifically within the lane of the Great Commission? I'll leave it to you. Oh, you don't want to give me up on this, Opox. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, this is a great question. So if we believe that all good, honest work matters to God, clearly some stuff is out of bound for Christ followers, right? Christ followers aren't called to be peddling pornography, right? Like the obvious stuff. But beyond that, right, if you believe that your work matters to God, yeah, th that's the right question was, okay, now what? What do I do to more deeply integrate with my faith with my work? Number one, you got to do your work with God and not just for him. Right. My friend Sky Jathani wrote a great book about this called With about a decade ago. Right. Because our temptation is to be like, okay, 
Jesus saved me. I want to do everything I can for Jesus. And I'm going to go out in the world and I'm just going to, man, build this kingdom, build this for him, for him, for him, for him. Please remember this. God doesn't need you at all. He wants you. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't need you, right? And before God calls us to do work for him, he calls us to be with him. So what does that look like practically throughout your day as an entrepreneur? It means waking up and spending time with the Lord before you get into the work. It means as you're doing the work, being mindful of his presence, being reminded that he is literally with you wherever you go, right? And that should shape your interactions at work. So that's the first one. Do your work with God and not just for him. Second, to state the really obvious, right? We got to be doing our work in line with his commands. Go back to Zacchaeus, who we talked about a couple of minutes ago. Jesus called Zacchaeus to go back to his work as a tax collector after he was quote unquote saved, after he started following Jesus. But it was clear that Jesus wanted him to change how he was doing that work. Zacchaeus volunteered this. He said, I'm going to give back whatever I stole. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. So number one, do your work with God. Number two, make sure you're doing your line, your work in line with God's commands. And then number three, I'll give a couple of things here. Number three, look for how you can reveal the kingdom of God in the present, right? And let's be like real explicit by what we mean here. We use a lot of terminology. Let's be real clear on what this is. Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are the exact same thing in scripture. Matthew uses kingdom of heaven for whatever reason, the rest of the gospels we translate to kingdom of God, right? Same thing. And so when we read scripture and hear what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God, what are the characteristics of the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is just. The kingdom of God is orderly. The kingdom of God is beautiful. We could go on and on and on. We got to look for ways to scratch off glimpses of what's what's on the other side of that thin veil between our dimension of earth and God's dimension of heaven, right? How do we do that? We do it by weeding out what doesn't belong in the kingdom of God, by planting what does, and by simply serving as faithful representatives of our king. Here's the last thing I'll touch on. If you want to go deeper, we can. Our work has intrinsic value to God. We talked about that. Our work also has instrumental value in that we can leverage our roles as entrepreneurs to help make disciples of Jesus Christ. But please, and we can talk about what that looks like, how to do it if you want, Wes, but please, listener, do not make the mistake that so many are preaching in the church today, that the Great Commission is the only commission on your life. That is a lie. Jesus never said that the Great Commission was the end all be all. In fact, right after he said, go make disciples of all nations, he said, teaching them to command everything that I have obeyed you. We've got about 50 of Jesus' commands recorded in the Gospels. You have a dual vocation, believer. The first commission that we see in Genesis 1:28 that never ever ends just to fill this earth and make it more useful for your customers and your team and your investors. And as you're going about that first commission, coupling it with the great commission to make disciples and bring other human beings into the fold of this massive kingdom growing project. What I love about that is it's a great equalizer, right? It does away with all the structures and the, and the pecking order really. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'll give you an example. I was talking with one of our clients in Canada the other day, right? Um, much closer to you than me. And, uh, and they were saying, you know, uh, we're, we're considering putting a page on our website that it's really overt around our faith, you know? And I'm like, okay, why? 
well, you know, we, we, we want to be good ambassadors for Christ. You know, we want to we want to use every opportunity to glorify God. And I'm like, okay, cool. I get it. Your heart, your heart is amazing. Yes. However, here's what's going to happen in the real world. Um, anybody who's a person of faith that gets there was probably going to buy from you anyway, right? Because because they got there because you're a person of faith and you networked. Um, but nine people are going to go, no, I'm going somewhere else, right? So you've, you've probably lost. Um, I said, there are probably smarter ways to live out, you know, being an ambassador for Christ than, than that. You know, there's, I mean, like, like, let's look at how you treat people. Let's look at how excellent the product is, right? Let, let, let's look at your after-sales service. Let, let, let's look at, like, how, how's the phone answered when, when, when somebody first gets there, right? Like, like, what's the waiting room like when, when somebody's waiting for you for five minutes? Like, you know, like, how, how about you do those things and you leave the Holy Spirit to raise the what's different about you question and uh, that'll be better than any page you could put on your website. And so, yeah. and, and the penny drops. Like, there's 900 ways for me to do the Great Commission. It's not a Jesus fish on my business card or an overt page. Or I think you said it in one of your podcasts, all the T's in my logo are made to crosses, I think you said. Like, it doesn't have to be like that. Well, and here's the deal, right? Maybe there was a time in which that was effective. I wasn't alive for that time, so I wouldn't know, right? But let's say 40 years ago, 50 years ago, that was an effective means of evangelism. But in our increasingly post-Christian culture, that's one of the most repulsive things in the world to non-believers, number one. Number two, I think we got to get a way bigger view of what we mean by that word evangelism. Because when we hear that word, we think exclusively of putting a page on our website that shares the gospel explicitly of Jesus Christ. Check this out, though. Psalm 19 says that the heavens evangelize. The heavens declare the glory of God even though they have no speech and use no words. What's the point, right? Everything we do is evangelism. Every interaction we have with a customer and an employee gives testament to the type of God that we believe in. I'll tell you what, you want to know who the most, what the most dangerous entrepreneur in the world is? The one who defines evangelism as simply sharing the Romans road, because that entrepreneur can justify screaming at their employees, lying to customers, and still putting John 3.16 on everything because, hey, I'm sharing the gospel with everybody. This other stuff doesn't matter. And that sounds like a ridiculous scenario. I know these people. And I wish they wouldn't put John 3.16 on their business cards because they are a living lie yeah. of the Jesus Christ that they claim to represent. So if you want to do that, listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. But man, if you're going to be that public about your faith, right? You better back it up with how the business operates, mm. serving your customers through the ministry of excellence, doing justice within the business and thinking about how you're paying everybody throughout the supply chain. You better be ready to do that work, right? If you're going to be that public uh, facing about the gospel. Well, I'm sure we've all followed a car that has a Jesus fish sticker on the bumper, but they drive the car like they stole it, right? It's, it's, it's just bad branding, right? You know, it, it really is. Yeah. Um, when you, I just want a couple more of those practical elements, right? Like, you know, it's, um, 
I don't know whether you've ever come across R.G. Letourneau, right? He's got it. Yeah, so he he's like the poster child. But again, like you said, in a different relevant world to the one we are today, he would shut his factory down twice a day and literally a sermon. Every you know, 2,000 staff had to come and meet, right? For them, they were probably happy just to get away from the hot furnace for an hour, but he was preaching, right? And, and I think that's amazing, and I would love to have experienced that era. Um, you know, it's illegal for me today to force my team to come into a meeting to hear me preach, right? So... Um, so, uh, what do you, you took that team from five to 150, I think you said, did you implement any formal structure? Was there an open invitation to an early morning Bible? Was there like, what, what did you have in there that, that you, you could legally get away with, but was also fruitful? Yeah, nothing formal, but I'll share seven things I did during that time. And seven things that I consistently find that the most effective disciple makers do to share the gospel with those they work with. Here's the first one pray right like we can't pry open doors to share the gospel with people yeah. god's got to open up those doors which is why paul prayed that he would in colossians that's almost him saying i will build my church funnily enough uh anyway let's sorry to sorry to interrupt <laughs> i know i know hard to believe right so yeah that's the first thing you got you want to make disciples at work you gotta pray number two be so good they can't ignore you like it or not mastery is the most winsome thing in the world today Mediocrity is not. Mediocrity is not going to win the respect of outsiders, as the Apostle Paul said in First Thessalonians. You got to be so good that they can't ignore you, right? That's number two. Number three, you can't just be excellent at your craft. You also have to be an excellent person. You got to be a friend, right? Be the person who genuinely cares about your vendors and your customers and your team beyond their productivity. Taking them meals when they have a child, right? Picking up somebody's favorite Starbucks drink for them on the way to work, whatever it is. Here's the fourth. Eventually, you got to explicitly identify yourself as a Christian. You can't just pray and be excellent at what you do and be a friend. It's, if you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, at some point, you got to raise your hand and say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is like the easiest one to do, right? Like, just ask about your coworkers' weekends on Monday. And when they inevitably ask you about yours, Tell them about the time of worship you participated in in your church. This one's a layup. Super simple. Here's number five. Look for opportunities to proactively move conversations from the surface to the serious to the spiritual. And Wes, if you want to go deeper here, I'll share my favorite tool for doing this that I borrowed from William Wilberforce. Here's number six. I want to hear it. All right. We'll get back to it. Here's number six. Let me round out the list. You got to be prepared to give a reason for your faith per 1 Peter 3.15. And then finally, when somebody's ready to have a conversation about faith, you got to be prepared to clear your calendar, okay? So those are the seven. Number one, pray. Number two, be so good they can't ignore you. Number three, be a friend. Number four, identify yourself as a Christian. Number five, look for opportunities to move from the surface to the serious to the spiritual. Six, be prepared to give a reason for your faith. And seven, be prepared to clear your calendar. Let's go back to my favorite tool that I borrowed from Wilberforce. Do you know who Wilberforce is, Wes? Yeah. You're familiar with this story? All right, so for our listeners who aren't, William Wilberforce is easily one of the most productive human beings of all time. Uh, he is largely responsible for abolishing the slave trade throughout the British Empire, no big deal, uh, in the early 1800s. And not only was he great at that, he was also a disciple-making machine within the British Parliament. When he entered Parliament, there were zero members of parliament who would have identified themselves as serious Christians. 
By the time he left, there were 200. And biographers credit Wilberforce as being a major force to that end. And the tool that he used was so simple and so genius that it has become the number one tool I use to make disciples today. Here's how he did it. Wilberforce knew that he had to be intentional about moving from the surface to the serious to the spiritual. So he kept a journal that he called his list of launchers. It's the simplest thing in the world. He'd write down the name of somebody, and next to that name, he would write down things to ask them about, conversation starters, things to give them that would lead those conversations from the surface to the serious to the spiritual. So simple. So I'm reading one right now from his journal. S and Mrs. No idea who this is. Mr. and Mrs. S. What books are they reading? Give them good ones, such as Walker's sermons. Ask about the education of their children. Inquire about them coming on Sunday to Battersea Rise to hear Vicar Venn. Simple things, right? But man, Wes, since I've been using this, it has been a game changer, right? Like my, my hairdresser is a lapsed Catholic. So before I go get my hair cut, I'll just take a look at my launchers list. I just keep it as a Google Doc, right? Look at, what, look at my launchers. Okay, Jessica, what am I going to ask Jessica? Great. I walk in. I only got to remember one or two things. And that little prompt is enough to spur spiritual conversations almost every single time that Jessica cuts my hair. It's a game-changing habit. That's so cool. So tactical and practical, which for business people, we will be all over. Uh, mate, that's awesome. Uh, that's, that's really, really good. That's such a valuable, deep, rich information. Um, I just want to give you free reign for 60 more seconds, right? There would be, there'd be somebody that's listening to this podcast right now, mowing the lawn, running on a treadmill, whatever, maybe doing their financials, rounding out the month, whatever they're doing. And um, I just want you to lay some encouragement down for the long journey. Just whatever comes to mind. What, what would you say to that person that's listening right now? I would say that the next time you think of your work as secular, the next time a pastor calls your work secular from the pulpit, remember this. The word secular literally means without God. And we Christians believe that the Holy Spirit of God is literally dwelling in us. And so the only thing you need to do to instantly make your quote-unquote secular workplace sacred is walk through the front door or log on to Zoom. That's it. There's no question about the sacredness of your seemingly secular work. The question is, are you going to save this life or are you going to spend it? Are you going to optimize this life in your business for the temporal or are you going to leverage it as much as you can for the eternal? Right. This life is a rounding error in the context of eternity. Spend it. Don't save it. I love it. I love it. And uh, there's some brutal truth right there. So, guys, uh, Jordan covered an awful lot and uh, it was highly practical. Probably one of our most practical podcast episodes we've ever done, which makes me super happy. But I want you to go back through your notes and put in the comments for me what's the top one thing that jumped out to you that Jordan said. If you're listening to this on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are, obviously there's no place to write comments. Do me a favor, jump, come over and find me somewhere else, Facebook, Instagram, wherever, YouTube, and put a comment there because I want to engage with you and see what's popping. 
Yeah, Jordan, you're a real blessing to us uh, on this podcast. Uh, I'll be in the States later this year, so hopefully our paths can cross. It'll be, uh, it, be really, really good. And uh, just pray you continue to be a blessing as you have been to us, to many, many others. All right, guys, we will see you back for next week's episode of the Kingdom Business Podcast. Thank you.